0: Unsee the Future The Hopi Chatty Bits Hello, it is Unsee the Future The Hopi Chatty Bits, welcome It's with me, Timo Peach The podcast in which I meet Storytellers, artists and solar punks Who are changing the stories We think we're in are you doing and how is the story you find yourself in this week this is quite a cheery space but deliberately so when we are surrounded so much with stories that are trying to uh, freak us out depress us drain us of life that's not the purpose of this little 45 minutes together so welcome make yourself at home and who is my guest today who is helping me reimagine the futures we think we're in i'm ever so chuffed to have this guest on today She invites you, she says, to meet them at the intersection of imagination, tech, community and culture. An entrepreneur, a founder, a speaker, a champion of creative tech's place in human well-being, she works in the digital space, creating communities around empowerment, authenticity and technology. She's someone I think who embodies engagement, flowing together the languages of gaming, storytelling, emerging technology, digital strategy, brand and business across gaming, extension extended reality in esports. she says she wants to connect the opportunities in such creative thinking with the people who most need it. As a founder of Sugar Gamers, she asked, what if there was a video game organization that had diversity inclusion as part of the company's culture? Mental health awareness was a must to prevent unhealthy environments, and talent was found and developed from non-traditional backgrounds. She regards video games as more than just entertainment, but a system of ideas and processes that can move and inspire people to action. She says, I'm the type who doesn't wait for opportunity to knock. I kick in the door and make myself at home. She is the geek of all trades, Keisha Howard.
1: the best intros i've ever had that's me you were talking about me oh wow. that's
0: that is you my friend and uh, i was leaving bits out as well uh, i'm so chuffed to have you on thank you for joining me today keisha
1: Thank you for having me. This is great.
0: Now, it is It is sort of around about uh, 9 o'clock in L.A. It's midday noon in New York, and it's uh, 1700 tea time in Bournemouth, give or take when we're recording this. But where in the world are you?
1: I am in Chicago, and it is a 1140 Central.
0: It is. Amazing. Uh, what's the weather like in Chicago today? Is it spring there yet? Does it feel like it?
1: You know what? I don't know what weather is anymore. Um, (laughs) Like in Chicago is probably one of the worst places to ask what the weather is. Like basically between the months of January and May. So it's just, sometimes it's warm. Sometimes it's snowing. Sometimes it's thunderstorming. Sometimes there's a blizzard. Sometimes all that is in the same day. It's uh, pretty incredible. And I it's, think it's only going to become more incredible as time moves forward.
0: <laughs> I like your use of the word incredible in, in heavy quotes there. Yeah. <laughs> it, gets, it gets big weather anyway there, as you say. But, uh, well, all the weather is getting big. And uh, just like weather, time doesn't seem to mean much to any of us anymore. So, But before we get into all that and why you're on the show, I've got to ask, what are you playing at the moment? Is it an old favourite or something brand new?
1: Oh, man. Um, I, I'm always playing multiple things at the same time, but I'm playing okay. Cyberpunk 27.7. And I'm also – my old favourite that I, I love is uh, Darkest Dungeon by uh, Red Hook Studios. And um, it's a game about taking adventurers through these dark dungeons and they get stressed out in addition to all the other things that they have to endure. Um, and you have to keep them alive and it's it's kind of a little morbid but I like the idea of like protecting people and making sure that they don't get stressed out. It's super hard and they still die anyway and it's uh, <laughs> but I For some reason just love this game. I love it so much. So did
0: charming. you <laughs> did you play did, have you ever played, are you into D&D? Were you ever into the sort of board gaming equivalent of Absolutely. that?
1: Absolutely. As a matter of fact uh, we created our own board game called Project Violation. But I digress. Yes, no. I've played uh, D&D and Magic and just all sorts of different board games. I love board games, actually. So, um, but yeah, as a kid, I, I played D&D. And when I got older, I wanted to see if I could encourage demographics that weren't marketed to uh, no back lot. when I was younger, uh, to see if they could enjoy playing tabletop RPGs and theater of the mind okay. and what it yes. means to use your imagination as an adult. Um, and it's just kind of all in your head as you, you, with friends, imagine yourself as a different character in a different world, uh, making all sorts of decisions and, and, and that sort of thing. And I think that there's a lot of demographics that didn't mm. know that that was cool and that was cathartic and that it was healthy and okay. So um, now, you know, I'm all about trying to make sure that everyone knows that theater of the mind is really. Can I say? Uh, can I curse on this show?
0: Yeah, use the word British. You can say what you like.
1: Oh yeah, it's really fucking cool. So <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it's time to like, you know, you know, especially now, especially now, we we really need to tap actively into our ability to be imaginative as adults
0: yes i took theater of the mind i mean i love that uh caroline peach uh she may be a relation has just said hello to you on the show there so so hello keisha from caroline thanks caroline yeah. uh yeah a theater of the mind i love that phrase and just the idea of it being there are demographics there are people who, d- who didn't know who didn't get the memo that this is cool and cathartic is it is it RPG stuff that you most enjoy role-playing things really immersive or, or is there, I mean, I imagine you as a gamer loving all the different kinds of approaches to gaming, but is there something that you most enjoy?
1: Yeah. Problem solving. That is at the foundation of everything that I enjoy really, uh, problem solving and critical thinking. Um, I like the idea that there's more than one way to do most things. And as long as you're, you're, you're open to that, it keeps you a little bit more free in society. It keeps you free because we become such, so attached to an outcome and there's only one way we can get to the outcome because those are the rules. Mm. (laughs) And then, um, you find out there's like 10 ways to get to the same outcome and you're just like, mm. I didn't know this. And, and games of all kinds uh, kind of keep that corridor of thought open for me.
0: You're bang on brand for this show immediately. There's no mucking about. Yeah, you, You've got to think that whole thing might pay off later. I mean, I, I know that you founded Sugar Gamers to allow, you know, lots of people from other backgrounds to, to feel at home doing this, that this was also for them because why on earth wouldn't it be? Uh, but also you did find your sort of social confidence in gaming, didn't you? I understand that really it was playing one of the Final Fantasies that helped you as a, as a really young person practice reading and performing out loud, bonding with your brother, that kind of thing. Really basic social stuff that gaming gave you from the off.
1: You know, that's interesting. I have so much cognitive dissonance around what you just said. Like you found your social confidence. I don't think I've ever found my social confidence. <laughs> oh, really? I just, know how to, I just know how to be productive in society. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and part of that is, it's sort of exuding a confidence in knowing that you can do a thing that creates some kind of value. Mm. Um, I, I don't know if that's like, I, cause every day I'm just like, do I know what I'm doing? I'm always <laughs> questioning myself. Like, I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing and I am comfortable there. I am yes. so comfortable there. I am comfortable in, in, and I think that the thing that makes me appear socially comfortable or socially confident is that I have a relationship with uncertainty that most people don't have. I'm just like, yeah, you know, like I'm living, might as well see what this thing does because I'm gonna die one day, not to be morbid, but you know, like I'm I'm here. So might as well just see what happens and, you know, see what I can do to shape those outcomes before I'm not here anymore and that kind of makes things okay for me I was like oh I didn't know that was going to happen and either sometimes it's bad and a lot of times it's actually pretty fucking awesome and if you're open <laughs> to the awesomeness that comes from randomness and chaos and uncertainty like beautiful things happen you meet beautiful people you trust in weird scenarios that have just stupendous outcomes I mean there are some some negatives too but I don't I don't worry about those as much because they're going to happen anyway whether I am certain or not
0: your relationship there with uncertainty that's interesting that's a very I would observe that's a characteristic of artists or artistic approach to things is being fine with uncertainty but you must get a huge opportunity to encourage people. A lot of people come up to you and feel encouraged that here you are, somebody outwardly very charismatic who openly says, I'm uncertain about myself, about my place in the world, but I will engage. You must really get a lot of feedback from others going, Keisha, just thank you for giving me permission to be uncertain and be myself.
1: I mean, I hope I do. I I would love that because... I'm pretty empathic and it's and I'm a problem solver, right? Mm-hmm. So when I feel that people are suffering from their perceived problems, I also am suffering from their perceived problems. So I I definitely want to help with the tools that allows people to, to get through them. Um, So like if that tool is giving yourself permission to exist um, and be free (laughs) and be yourself, like, Hey, I'll be that example. Like, yeah, see, I'm here. I can do it.
0: Do you, I mean, do you think that there's something in, this is such an obvious question, but I'll get it out. I mean, it's almost answering itself in the context of you and me. But role-playing and kinetic play, you must think that's got a, a a big role to play in teaching us alternatives to our lives and alternative futures.
1: Absolutely. And I think that the the institutions that we are born into and we grow up in, they teach us that there's a cut-off point. And when you become an adult, Like all of this simulated play that actually has always taught us things since the beginning Mm -hmm. of time. And we see all intelligent mammals and and life uh, on Earth playing, uh, simulating play all throughout their lives for the most part. Um, But for some reason, our play has to be uh, equal to something that generates some sort of tangible value. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think it all kind of gets really kind of fuddled because, oh, we don't have time to play. We got to work. And, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, for some reason, there's something in my brain. And if I'm not playing, I feel not human. I don't feel right. I don't feel, I feel like something's off. Like I I need to play. I need to, you know, see what happens. Like I'm going to simulate this through a game through whatever kind of game, through conversations, through thought experiments, any sort of thing. just And, and that, that play relieves so much anxiety about uncertainty for me, because I've already went through the simulation. That's what play is. You know, you That's see like fighting. They are simulating. They're not hurting each other uh, when they're fighting with each other, but they can, you know, take down one of those. Um, I don't know what tigers actually eat. I was gonna say buffalo, but I think those are two different kinds. I think
0: I think tigers will eat anything that's too slow, frankly.
1: <laughs> right, but yeah, you you get my point. Um, so yeah, I think that um, it's it's play is just such a fundamental part of how we exist, and how we're healthy mentally. Um, like, even people who are great at just being at process are still right. playing around with with some things, trying to experiment with what the best processes is uh, or are. Um, they're, they're just, I don't know. I just think having play as an ingredient in how we live is just important.
0: It is for me the word I keep coming back to a lot is embodiment. That's another artistic principle uh, that when you move yourself into these things, you're you're changing your brain. That's why you can't just sit here like this. So I find it interesting that you're such a kinetic, physical, active seeming person. Uh, when gaming can sort of have you sit with a console, just it's just eyes and and thumbs. But you you still must have developed a lot of practical confidence in the different things you've embodied, even as you sort of carry your uncertainty here? I
1: mean, I don't know. I guess for me, like every day is Halloween, and I just try on different costumes and see what happens, you know? Uh, And that's fun to me, and that's just an internal thing that I find fun. And I think it comes out altruistic because I don't need to necessarily keep the things... That I get from these experiences. Like, I don't mm. need to keep it um, and be like, this is me, this is my only identity now, and you can't take it away. Like, I could just let it go. And I guess that's another thing that might be a little bit difficult um, for some people is just to let parts of your identity go to make yeah. it, you know, space for what can flourish, what new identity that you can play with. Like we, we, again, we, we're raised to think like, all right, from this age to this age, we're this. And then from that to that, we're that. And mm-hmm. then from like 20 on up, we're supposed to be these, these adults and we are <laughs> shorn of things that, you know, are part of development a part of living. Um, so I, I love, you know, trying out new things and, and, having new identities. And from those experiences, I learn things. And hopefully when I share what I learn, it's helpful to people. I don't – I'm not always attached to that being the outcome, though. I I think I used to be a little bit. um, But I've grown to the point where, like, if I'm just, like, the best version of myself to me, maybe I'm giving the best version of myself to everyone else.
0: You are sounding – like you're live you're living in the moment very well, which as a business person and entrepreneur is very healthy because you could be living in the outcomes the whole time and just frantically working for that. How have you managed to get so I want to use the word zen and you might laugh at that because it because obviously it's a work in progress, but how have you managed to make yourself live so comfortably with that uncertainty in the moment and be so healthy seeming with that?
1: Oh, man, I fought very hard to be here. Uh, When I was young, I was super nice. And people are just like, oh, you're too nice. You're too nice. And that was a a big thing. Um, And then also, like, obviously, I I am, you know, born into capitalism. So there is a, a, you know, a relationship I have with money. But it was never... It was never... I don't know. I similar to I would say other people. Like I don't care as much about money as I do about like people around me, my relationships, mm-hmm. how I feel. I um, don't necessarily need a lot, and because I don't need so much, and because I enjoy being nice. Like I enjoy, I enjoy being nice, and. I live in a world that's constantly like, hey, if you're nice, people are going to take advantage of you. And that's not untrue. Um, Hey, if you don't think about money, you're just going to be, you know, fucked up and, and, you know, out there. And it's just not that bad. You know, it's just not that bad being nice. And not caring about money that much.
0: <laughs> it's not that bad being it's nice not and bad. not caring about money that much. I totally agree. <laughs> Write that down, somebody. We just that money it's, it's not it's
1: that bad, and and you know, I I have had plenty of success in that. You know, yeah, like I'm yeah. not really trying to like fame and fortune is an identity I can try on, but it's not an identity I need to feel good about myself. Right. Mm -hmm. So like sometimes I'm just like, hey, you know, let me put on my Hollywood aesthetic and just go out there and and see what happens. And that is, you know, uh, authentic part of me. But it's just a tiny sliver. You know, I have so many other things I can be and explore. Um, So sometimes I like to peek into that sort of whole environment and that whole society and and see what everyone's doing. But Mm -hmm. it's not a hundred percent fulfilling for me and I'm not going to pretend like it is like I don't want to be on social media you know every day trying to get likes and trying to get those sort of dopamine hits that I can feel the hangover I can feel the artificialness of it it's like It's
0: it's a rubbish game
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's like drinking for me almost it's like yeah drinking is hella fun it is until you're sick yes. <laughs> until you wake yes. up with a hangover until you're depressed
0: and it-, it does do that when you're on you know social media that kind of web 2 experience it's all it just I can feel the front of my head eh, there you know it's not like a hot holistic whole body experience is it I think yeah. it's there's an implication in your work and in the whole tone of Sugar Gamers and, and you really, and it is, it's encouragement, but because of mental health, you really care about that as an issue running through something carefree like games. There's a real call for it, isn't there?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, going back to play in theatre of the mind and, and games in general, it gives your brain a break because things are low stakes. Like if you win... Great, that feels good. If you lose, okay, your life isn't over. <laughs> like you may have died yeah. in the game, but you're still yeah. alive in real life. You can walk away and you can use your brain to think about like what could I do better next time? How can I solve these these problems? And that is a healthy function of your mental well-being. Because if you're yeah, doing yeah. things that allow you to practice, not staying in place or not staying rigid because you have to win right like being a, a hardcore gamer like you're already in a situation where you have to anticipate losing quite a few times before you're good at anything Yes, right like you're gonna lose and you might as well prepare for that to get better to level up and just that mentality you know, just foundationally, it's like ah, I'm not. I'm gonna be trash at this for quite some time, right. and then one day you wake up and you're good because of the consistent effort that you might have put into it if you wanted to, because you're playing and you wanted to. So you leveled yes. up in places that you wanted to, and it's like this authentic experience. Um, and I, I take that same approach to anything I want to learn or any problem I want to solve in real life. Like, okay, I didn't solve it right away, but.
0: But that's fine. Yeah, Yeah. that's fine. I'm thinking of uh, uh, that meme from a few years ago. You must have seen it. of a little kid, a little boy who's trying to do a free jump, standing jump up onto a tabletop. And it just goes round and round and round and round of him trying and trying and trying and trying. And, and when you think he's going to get there, it keeps going and he keeps tripping and not quite doing it. He falls back get, until eventually he does it. And the pace of it, it's got to be 25 different takes. We'll just cut, cut, cut. I think it was actually before TikTok, probably. but It's that sort of speed to it. And by the end, when he makes it <laughs> by not giving up, everybody in the, on the world goes, yeah for but that's what you're embodying there it is that kind of i know you talk a bit about tenacity just hey don't don't fear failing just go again
1: yeah it's like you know i think that there is in in our public discourse there's just like something that sounds so permanent about failure like yeah. i feel at that okay well now what? What's she gonna do now? And yeah, you know, right? <laughs> like even if you win at something, it it re, it results in the same feeling for me at least. Like that's I won something, I'm like, oh, I'm excited, I won! I, I got this, and then what next?
0: You know, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs>
1: okay, well, that don't happened. You, Time goes by, you level out,
0: and you level out. Don't you think that's the whole thing? That, that's a real expression of the gamification of of our world global economics that it promises win this win be a winner and then when you win how many stories do you know of, of us and people going uh, well that was nice it was good for a minute now <laughs> yeah and
1: you you need that hit again and that's, need that that, hit that, again. that's, that's my issue with how we live now, because I feel like there is a sort of robust story on both sides of what we perceive as good or bad or right or wrong. And there's so much to explore there. Um, so we you know, are constantly looking at winning as like the way to be and what we should aspire to and what our goals are, not understanding the, the, the perks are, are the mm-hmm. positives of losing and where that growth comes from, and where the the learning really happens, and yeah. you know where your ability to connect with other people are you know like um we're yeah. we all lose at something and like how much more connected do you feel with an individual when you could be like mm. oh i wasn't good at that and that person's like i wasn't good at that either <laughs> and you're connecting on that human level like oh man we cannot be good and it's okay <laughs>
0: Teacher, <laughs> that, that's right? how i connect that's how i connect with most people is I'm, <laughs> right? i was it's I'm like, rubbish that's a relief you're not
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly You know, trying to go around being like, I'm great and perfect at all these things. Like, no, I ain't. And even the people that I meet, that their metric of success is money. And that is our public discourse metric of success. Like, this person got funded X millions of of dollars. And, you know, one of the biggest things that made me mad as an adult is the realization one day. And I'm like, rich people aren't smart. I'm just like, I was so mad. I thought rich people were geniuses and they have all the answers and no. just perfect in every way because why else would they have that much money? because yeah. they had to be uber-intelligent with years and years and years of academic education. I just imagine them as kids reading and playing the violin and the piano at the same time, giving speeches <laughs> at 14. You know, that's how they got their millions, right? Because Definitely. they just like really put the time and investment into like making sure that they knew everything about however they made that money and that's why they're so smart. And that's why we believe everything that they do. And we try to imitate everything that they do because it's the best thing for us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It turns out quite a few of them aren't aren't, aren't all that and don't quite know what to do with all their money. I, uh, I don't
1: believe that, Timo. You're a pessimist, aren't I? Though
0: I know everybody says I'm such a cynic. Uh, that's it's terrible, but I, I mean I'm, I'm thinking here before we get. I want to get to something super positive that you're also something else so positive that you're known for. But getting though, I am thinking of the context you work in uh, in gaming. We know it's not pretty in some ways culturally. Something like Gamergate all those years ago, back in 2014. Man. That was ugly. How did you feel going through that as a woman in tech and a woman in gaming when, ironically, it was a narrative game, wasn't it? Sue Quinn's game, Depression. Uh, it was like a, a follow-your-own-adventure, as I understand it, De- um, Depression Quest. And then you get all this kind of horribleness that seemed to come out from a particular demographic of gaming. You can't have been proud of the sector then. How did you cope with that, that chapter? <laughs>
1: you know you know and this might be one of the first times I've publicly discussed this. Um, as an American descendant of slaves, I don't like some of these things don't impact me in the same way it might impact someone that does not that looks different um, that is is part of the majority, right So there are no. I just have to deal with it. And not not that it just completely doesn't impact me. I just know that there's no there's no savior coming. I, I, I don't I'm not going to have access to heroes in the same way, you know. Um and so like when I did get harassed online, I did get gamergated, uh I just didn't use Twitter for like a week and that was fine. I mean, like, what were what they gonna do? Like, I live on the south side of Chicago, and if the world has heard about Chicago, it's, you know, filled with corruption and violence, but it's still probably the best city ever, seriously. And I believe that with my whole heart. But yeah, there is corruption and violence and segregation in the impoverished areas. They ain't gonna SWAT me. Like, right. like, we're not gonna, like, what are they gonna do? I'm not, it's not the same culture reaction Yeah. For so many different reasons. Um, So and then also just there's a part of growing up the way that I did where, you know, and this is like a cultural thing, phenomenon where you're sat down by whoever's taking care of you and they tell you how the world works for you specifically and how it's going to be different for people that you see. So, like you can't do what white people do because you're not a white people. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, yeah. having that foundation of just like, hey, the world's gonna suck a little bit more for you. Um I, I just kind of was not prepared for it, but like on top of everything else that um I would have to endure from a racial gender perspective. Gamergate was just in line, you know? It was
0: just yeah, hard it, wasn't, it wasn't no. news, was it? What would you say? It wasn't news, really. Yeah,
1: it, it wasn't news. And that was, like, really interesting, too, because, like, I had that whole experience, and people were like, crickets, right? And then other people had that experience, and they had, um, I don't know, a different outcome and i'm not going to say positive or negative but it just they had a different experience with it um so but like for me i feel like this and this goes this you know just taking it back to the original part of what i'm saying is problem solving right and there's several ways to solve any problem and if i believed that the only way to solve some of the inclusive inclusivity issues in gaming was to get validation from Mm. like people who are gamer gators, then I wouldn't be here right now. (laughs) So like, that is not my core demographic. It's not your core audience. (laughs) 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 Uh,
0: And I think you might be on a hiding to nothing if you're trying to please them. But (laughs) I think uh, I'm observing in all the different ways that I'm getting to know my own planet all over again, that when you have a direct experience of a syst- how a system fails, you're just much more expectant of what's wrong. And there are others of us who won't have had that exact experience for whom it is news. Go Wait, why is this? But I thought I thought it was interesting yeah. attached to Gamergate was this idea of don't bring social context into gaming, man. We just want to play games, right? Yeah. But I think it's interesting you do have... A bit of a well, uh, j- other than just showing up as you, also there's the your enjoyment of narrative and problem solving in games.
1: Yeah, I mean that you know, <laughs> and most of the games that I have, I-, I like playing. Um, have they poke at how our society works? Like, take BioShock for example. I don't know right. if you're a big gamer, but BioShock is uh, amazing, and um, Yes, sorry. <laughs> Bioshock, you know, pokes at like, hey, there's this parallel society being made underwater because people don't want to follow the rules and mm. limitations of the society that they currently lived in. So they took all their technology and all of their, their you know, sort of um, uh, genius thinking into this underground society that still failed but at least they tried something
0: else yeah exactly <laughs> like,
1: you know playing through that narrative was really interesting because like you're you're this thing and you don't even know what you are until like kind of the end of the game the end of the whole experience and you're experiencing like this marvel of underwater you know ingenuity and you know, en- engineering created like the even the thought of it, you know, was was really interesting. And uh, you're, you're, you're walking through like sort of the ruins of this super successful feat. And that narrative and to like engage with it on that in that way was was super, I don't know. Um,
0: well, immersive.
1: Yeah, it's immersive and it it got my imagination going. It's like I never thought about that. There are people in the world that's just like, hey, I want to do things different. Can I try it? Mm. And then they can't. It's when they have to figure out another way to try it. So and is that bad? Sometimes it is, but But, sometimes it's not, you know.
0: But that's part of role play. It's trying something on, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's there's something interesting you're making me think of here in the principle of gaming. Uh, our, our, our era is sort of sometimes described as beginning to flatten time because we can start to pull things out of lots of eras, different to when I was younger, when everything had a definite linear sense of now we're in the seventies, now we're in the eighties, now and now we're all sort of just in this soup that's been exaggerated by COVID and all that switching off of things. But gaming is non-linear, even when it's following a broad trajectory. And um, when you're world exploring, I don't know. I think if I was I'm not much of a gamer but if I if I was trying to get into it as I often think right I'm just going to get a console and live in gaming for a month and just it would probably be something like I don't know No Man's Sky I just fly around between planets and look at things a lot look I'm going to do something time flattening now Keisha because although I'm not a big gamer This is the level to which I am a gamer. Is (laughs) that that.
1: dust on top of your Nintendo You you
0: can see it's low resolution, but that is dust on my N64. And look at the cart that's in there. That, my friend, is pilot wings.
1: Wow. Wow, you don't even have Star Fox.
0: No, no, exactly. What was I thinking?
1: You don't even have Star Fox. (laughs) I had to get you some
0: Starbucks, at least. <laughs> at least, right. But I found Pilot was quite restful. So um, 100 years ago, actually 25 years ago, I was, although I'm not a gamer, it's never quite happened, although I love the idea of it. Uh, 25 years ago, I was art editor of a games magazine here in the UK. It was called Play, and it's for PlayStation. And, and this, I'll tell you a story here, young Keisha. It was years ago, back in the day when there was no sequel to Tomb Raider. And then suddenly there was a sequel to Tomb Raider (laughs) and we had it all over every issue for about a year. Uh, Yeah, we had all sorts of things. God, it was Doom, the second version of Doom and all kinds of things like that. And I always loved the idea of kind of puzzle games rather than first-person shoot-'em-ups for the sake of it. I wouldn't be a Halo player, but the idea of losing yourself in a world I've always rather liked. But to me, gaming, it reminds me of the metaverse actually especially does this it still looks like second life but i have noticed in the kind of teasers to games now they're really starting to look a bit meta-human aren't they getting a bit creepily good and when the game the gameplay is getting getting there as well isn't it
1: hmm um that's it that's that's interesting that you say that like it's looking good but is the gameplay getting as good? Um,
0: that's a point, great, yeah. Is uh, it?
1: Yeah, it's looking more and more realistic. But I do find that so. My favorite type of game is called Immersive Sims. So that's okay, like yeah. a Deus Ex, uh, yeah. which if you if you've never played it is a game about this is you know suits to us, futuristic cyberpunk kind of thing, and you're just dude. And, you know, you're augmented and got all these robotic parts. And instead of like there being a race, gender orientation, you know, uh, social fight we're fighting over, are you augmented or not?
0: Right. And
1: as you as you navigate this world, uh, there's always like five to ten ways you can solve any problem. And that's really cool, right? Mm. Uh, they don't make games like that as much because they're super expensive to make. Yeah, well, even though they're amazing. Um, but they're that they end they, the games end, right. And that is not necessarily the most lucrative way. Yeah, to spend your resources when you're making a game because data suggests because we, we, <laughs> we, we, we use data to innovate, right? That, that's what um, I hear. Yeah, that's that's how you innovate. You you use historical data to and do what they did for success, and then you get more success. And it's yeah. guaranteed.
0: It's they, guaranteed. Yeah. 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 So,
1: you know, and that's how we we innovate.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> that's how we <laughs> innovate.
1: So uh, data suggests that immersive sims are just not that lucrative um, mm. because you want people to keep buying into your game. You know, yeah. you want new skins
0: mm, and new, know.
1: new things to buy and well and, weapons probably, and
0: Probably what we should do is just keep making Lego shoot ups and, um, and be done with it.
1: Sounds yeah. innovative to me.
0: It does to me as well. I thinking <laughs> – I was thinking the same. Now, you're bringing me to a principle here that I know you've said in in one of your TED talks, you were talking about how much you just honestly love cyberpunk for a style, but that it led you to the implication you've got here, which is we're stuck in old stories. And in all the art industries, all the different storytelling industries, we are Stuck in that Reagan Thatcherite neoliberal economics of cyberpunk, which looks really cool with a kind of pink light on one side and a blue light on the other, uh, and then you discovered something else, didn't you? Not cyberpunk, but
1: solarpunk.
0: Solarpunk, <laughs> dearly beloved, we are gathered here today in the light and sight of holy solarpunk. Uh, yeah, you did, didn't you? And that was something for you. That was an illustration for you that we need these new stories of us.
1: Yeah. Like um, I was, all, when I was a kid, I loved reading fiction. Oh, love fiction. And if I could find an author that wrote one good fiction book, I would read all that author's books. Like okay. I probably read it, most uh, Stephen King, most Dean Koontz, most like there's a, quite a few authors. I've just read their whole your digs and um,
0: may I jump in this is this is part of the evidence of how we know you're a nerd and and I salute you oh, that you get oh. that, that you go deep you'll read it all
1: oh yeah and I read books made out of paper back before you know reading on screen oh, yeah. um, I that love that me some paper my brain. Hmm?
0: yeah I love me some paper
1: yeah but the tangible ability mm. to sit there and practice focusing with your mind and eyes for some hours remember yeah.
0: that I do. i've been doing it this weekend actually it was lovely
1: i bet it was it, i i am trying to like one of the the things i'm most disappointed about as a real quick aside is that i forgot how to read not in real life but no, like no. how to to really get myself in the mind space to just relax into reading and when i was younger there was no like i didn't have a lot of technology around me it was just the console, so it wasn't like I was. I wasn't playing games on the computer. It was my books, and that was pretty much it. And then if I did have the cell phone, it was like one of them Nokia brick phones, and I wow. had free nights and weekends, so I wasn't getting calls throughout the day. <laughs> you remember free nights and weekends? Yes. Um, <laughs> and so that's when you would expect calls, uh, but you know, long story short, just had. I remember that just like having that that time and ability to focus anyways so um i i I take in all of the stories you know and then i like watch if there's a movie that comes out based on the book then i gotta watch the movie Mm. and and then if there's a game that comes out based on the book then i gotta play the game anyways you do this a couple of rounds and you realize that you're hearing the same stories over and over again and then for me i start to feel a little guy I'm just like, they didn't change this. Mm. They didn't add anything to this. They just Mm. sold me something because they knew I would like it because data suggested I would like it. And now I'm not able to have a real conversation about what it means to add something new. Um, And so then I'm just like, ah, I want to do something good. And so then I grab what's familiar instead of grabbing something fresh. And I used to have a lot more discernment or I feel like we used to have a lot more space to have that discernment. And now we're not even given enough options to have that discernment. So we find ourselves locked into um, kind of a allegory of the cave type thing.
0: It really is.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. we're forgetting that there's other things to to experience. And that's where solar punk came in and my fascination with it. Cause I'm like, oh man, you know, cyberpunk is the future, right? I'm just like, oh, it doesn't have to be like, we can (laughs) actually tell stories differently. And I don't think that solar punk is, you know, all that utopic. I just think that it is a fresh perspective to take on when you're writing a, a narrative, a fictional narrative. Like we don't have to have you know, the exact same things that we've been taught is the thing if we're writing fiction. Yes. You know, isn't that, like, and I don't know why, it's such a simple thought, but it's something that I have to constantly remind myself of, like, I don't have to do what I'm expected to do, I don't have to like expect yes. it expected to like, um, and solar punk is always a great way to reframe whatever I want to imagine you
0: yeah. know. Mm, Cyberpunk is a great way to reframe whatever I want to imagine. And, and you don't have to do, – you've embodied not doing uh, what, you're, what you're expected to do, I would <laughs> suggest. I, I know you said in your TED Talk about this, um, you know, you, you it was seeing um, Stefano Burry's kind of uh, archi- architecture designs. You know, it's just just that very idea of bringing nature into a vertical urban environment is immediately kind of oh, that's nice. That's like we can live nicer, can't we? It's nice to be nice with nature and actually live in better harmony.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I um, gave a talk at an Apple store it was in front of a lot of you know super smart people and i'll never forget when i talked about solar punk uh, a lady an architect came up to me and she was like you know and this kind of stopped me from thinking that solar punk was all that utopic right because i'm just like solar energy and solar panels and vertical farming and vertical houses and it'll be great why can't we just do that and then that's what we all do and then she came up to me and It was a little annoying because it's not like I I asked uh, for the feedback, but she was like, like, you know, I know you think this is good and all, but when architects put, um, you know, foliage and greenery in these vertical spaces, they, they, you know, you have to consider that the people that live there are gonna have to deal with bugs and animals so mm-hmm. much more, you know, that it tracks it attracts life. You know, that's an interesting thing to think about. Like we want nice things, but we don't want to compromise. So it's like, oh, bugs, like we gotta yeah. deal with bugs if we want to deal with, you know, <laughs> and it's just an interesting thought. Like, are we willing? Like, what sacrifices are we willing to make to live in harmony with nature? Um, yeah. And that's where, like, my solar punk narratives come in, and that's how, you know, I I kind of have – I always say I'm a solar punk dark. It's not cyberpunk, but it's a solar punk dark as, what, as how I think of it. It's like, oh, would people – like, what would be – the way we would actually get to a solar punk society. Like what would have to mm-hmm. happen first? And that would be where our conflicts would come in, right? Yeah,
0: exactly. Because,
1: you know, like I think you, you saw the TED talk, my little brother, he asked me like, what's so punk about this? And I'm just yeah. like, oh, like that's basically, we are currently living in the time frame mm-hmm. in which we would collectively have to do something to create
0: a solarpunk future yes and that's that is our era the JMO says that he he considers solarpunk the uh political wing of permaculture (laughs) and 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 when i spoke with serena ulibari who you might know she she's the editor-in-chief of um world weaver press doing so many of the solarpunk narrative stories she helped me understand the idea that, that Solar Punk is by definition really in a time of transition which we are and so there you are from a narrative structure point of view there's all your conflict it's people working out how to keep transitioning but pointing in a different direction
1: Whew. you know and that is a huge problem to solve
0: but you know yeah yeah it's a it's, <laughs> it could be awkward if it was real couldn't it gladiel no. Yeah. Mm. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, right? I thought so it was I'm interesting.
1: Write the stories down, and you know, contribute to the narrative. Uh, I got, what? I got, you know what, uh, you know, like tomorrow's not promised, but you know, I got like you know some more years left in me. I'm, I'm hoping, and, and, and I'm what? hoping to add to the, the collective of energy that could potentially help steer this earth of people into a a different direction. So I don't think I'll be, you know, the one to solve the problem, but at least I can feel like I could, you know, add a quarter to the the cost.
0: (laughs) Well, what else can we do but show up in new narratives and illustrate what a new story could look like and explore it and play it together? Plus, if along the way, Keisha Howard, you are also doing things like this, where you are... (laughs) Of <laughs> fighting robots or you know then then i think that's pretty fucking cool if you don't mind me saying
1: i i would say so too like i i would say you know by releasing um expectations for what i should happen right i yeah. get to do unexpected things like fight robots and i don't know if that's Right or wrong, but it definitely is extraordinary and fun and meaningful to me. (laughs) So it definitely
0: is extraordinary and fun and meaningful to you. I totally agree with that. You
1: know, and that brings me up to uh, thank you for bringing that up because that brings me to another thing that I have been experiencing, uh, especially recently as it pertains to being a solar punker. People don't really get the expansiveness of what being a solar punker is, or, you know, you, there's a a spectrum of it, right? Mm -hmm, And there are different ways that people, it's subjective, different ways that people, different ideas that people have about what it means to live in harmony with the earth or have more egalitarian environments and and cultures and so on and so forth. And um, uh, I have gotten some interesting feedback and like, people are just like, oh, why would you do this? and work for corporations and money if you're in the solar punk and i'm just like okay so i am now expected to just sacrifice everything for my interest in contribution to something and that's another sort of uh thing that i feel like we're entering into is like this extreme uh this extremist, like, we are we are losing our, our nuance. We're, yes. we're losing our exploration of things. We're, we're losing our ability to deconstruct and and look further in the layers of things. It's just, like, surface, you that, and anything mm-hmm. that you do that appears to contradict an idea that is sub- subjective and expansive is inherently wrong or... Um, uh, what's the word for it when you contradict yourself and it's bad? Uh, the there we go. And I'm just like this is an interesting um, part of being in this space and I'm just like, okay, well
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, do it anyway. you you make me think of something I found similarly over the and I don't want to make it too firm in my head, but I have felt frustration with the general sustainability, Kind of community is not the right word, but it's very easy to feel like you do with a religious conversion when you first start to see the state of the world as it is the collapse of biodiversity on Earth and you start to make the connections. This is all an economic culture driving this everything. So all the global goals, the SDGs of the UN, they're all just different symptoms of the same economic story we think we're in, right? That's the point of my whole thing here. You can start to get a bit goggle-eyed because you want to run down the street and say, why isn't everybody talking about this? As if you've just seen God. And somehow you've got to chill out and understand that we're all works in progress, right? Which is why I find words like grace and reverence have come to me very quickly through... Solarpunk, but also, but especially sustainability, because I'm I've got to be part of all these worlds, and that's between the nodes, between the worlds, is where we have to live, and we're agent in this point, not where it's all perfect, right?
1: Right. It's like you know, I I had to give up a couple of uh, ideas that were forming attachments in my mind. Like, for example, the work that I'm doing is going to benefit me. No, the work that I'm doing hopefully benefits other people.
0: Mm. You know,
1: like I am already living in the benefit of other people's work. You know what I'm saying? As
0: Totally. We yeah, all are.
1: So like I am a product of generations of people fighting for rights, fighting for freedoms, you know, sacrificing to take care of their families, so on and so forth, right? Yeah. And so I like to think of my contributions as hopefully helpful To to others so i might not see that perfect society and i have to live in the way that i can now for me and that's something that i've had i like i'm like i can be interested in this i can push the idea that we can expand our thinking on how we perceive the future how we imagine ourselves in the future but if it does not happen in my lifetime I can at least put the hope and the dream and the idea out there that maybe yeah. somebody can grasp onto it and know that that thread of thought makes them not alone when they mm. have the same thought like oh man i have this thought and i don't feel right and i don't know why i don't feel right and then there are our historical evidence uh, there is historical evidence that you're not alone, and I think yeah. that that's just so important when you when you find something, some some person in history, some writing, some something that just makes you feel not alone. It gives you the strength that you might need to make the changes that might benefit mm-hmm. that next person that feels alone, and then maybe we can come together and you know do things that are good or not. Yeah. I don't know.
0: <laughs> No, you're on it. You're definitely on a roll there. And
1: move <laughs> to Mars. <laughs> or we could
0: just do that. Yeah, no, I, yes. I I agree and amen. Look, I could talk to you uh, for the rest of the day very happily indeed. Uh, I would say I've got one last question that I must ask you simply because I ask everybody this. Uh, I'd be interested to know what your answer is. I always ask how, if you were to leave an ancestral artifact, leave something forward for others. It can be a symbolic object. It can be a notion, uh, a piece of writing, a piece of music, an idea, something that points in that more hopeful direction. What might you leave forward for future generations?
1: Probably a game. (laughs) Probably a game and a a game that sort of teaches or gives or perpetuates the idea that play is important necessary and something that we should incorporate throughout entire our entire lives and you know i would just like to add to that whole you know sort of uh catalog of of different things that do that um Mm -hmm. and, and that would be pretty amazing of an artifact in my opinion
0: I I think you should get on that. (laughs) Let's start writing that. I'm
1: trying.
0: Keisha (laughs) Howard, the original Sugar Gamer. You're a legend. Thank you for spending some time with me this afternoon. Let's do this again sometime. Thank you for joining me on Unsee the Future.
1: This was fun. Thank you so much,
0: Timo. Unsee the Future. Brilliant, huh? That whole idea I was getting from Keisha there about um, actually something a bit indigenous, living in the patterns of where you are, the spaces between the nodes and the eruptions and the things that seem obvious and how to find new stories in the living in and the imperfection and embodying it and holding the imperfection and the uncertainty really well confidently actually uh and in confident confidence what a wonderful chat i hope you found that uh, as inspiring as i did uh yeah you can definitely find out more about her at sugar gamers but also at uh, keisha howard i'll put all the links down below go and find out more about her she's um so much wonderful energy in all that she's doing and sharing so openly with people a hugely encouraging presence to be with even more than i pictured from all her lovely output Uh, you can find out more about her at the links below and you can find out more about me and all the foundational episodes of unsee the future's idiosyncratic style of research exploring the big themes of our era of crisis along with all the previous hopi chatty bits at say it with me unseethefuture.com. There you can also find exclusive previews of the new book from my findings, UTF, How to Think Like an Artist and Change the World. Nine practices of art that can help you reimagine the story you think you're in. And how much this show is helping me research that as I go. Uh, You can also encourage me by becoming a Momo Amigo and joining the Unsee the Future mailers. And you can find out more about me as a music artist at momotempo.co. If you are feeling It's all too much. Momo Tempo will cheer you up. (laughs) Go there and find my creative context as an artist. What story do you think you're in? And are you figuring out yet how to change it? Let's encourage the more hopeful human tomorrow. Ciao for now, Soshi. See you soon. Discover more links and video and reading on the blog of this post at unseethefuture.com. And be the first to get the future in your inbox. Subscribe to the Momo memos at unseethefuture.com forward slash amigos. Listen, read, ponder and share. Do. Unsee the Future is a Momo Tempo production. Obviously.